0: well I know that we've been in a series going through the book of Daniel stranger in a strange land Uh, but we're gonna take a little break from Daniel this morning and we're gonna go to a passage that has been on my heart and on my mind uh, this past week and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan and you might be thinking, if you know the story, that, you know, hey, I, I get it. The, the world is in crisis right now, and people are afraid, and I've got maybe friends and family that have coronavirus, or uh, at least are, are scared, or stir crazy, or anxious, or whatever. And so, yeah, the Good Samaritan teaches us to be compassionate towards those who are struggling, towards those who are hurting. But you know what? That's really not what the Good Samaritan is about. I mean eventually it's about that but primarily uh, the story is is not about that the story does something very very different and uh, you'll see I think in a minute why it's been on my mind especially this week. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, open it up to Luke chapter 10. If not, you can use your device. I've got my iPhone here. Uh, you can use a physical copy of a Bible, which, which I kind of prefer. Um, but whatever it is, I'd love for you to have the story of the Good Samaritan in front of you. And we're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And we're going to pick it up in verse 25. Verse uh, Luke writes this, and I'll read the entire story to you, and then we'll go back and kind of pick it apart together. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, that's the lawyer, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And brought him to an inn and took care of him and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers he that's the lawyer said the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him you go do likewise Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for these stories that you've told us to give us a glimpse into the heart of God for us. Give us a glimpse into your heart for us. I pray, O Spirit of God, that you would be near to me even now as I talk about this text and near to These people who call Bayview Glen Church their home that are scattered all over the GTA right now, some of them in isolation, feeling anxiety, Um, God, for all of us, I pray that you would be so uniquely present with us today. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Let's pick it apart. Let's understand it. Look at verse 25 there. It says a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Now, I want you to know that's not like an attorney, you know, someone who's arguing in court like we would think of a lawyer today, but it's an expert in the Old Testament Jewish law. So this is a religious professional. This is somebody who knows all the laws of the Old Testament and all the kind of additional laws that the Pharisees would have added. This person is an expert in the law. Be honest with you it's a religious professional like me this is this is a a, you know almost literally a pastor not in the modern sense but but a religious professional in the ancient sense stands up and puts jesus to the test and says teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life i want you to mark that question in your mind because it's a critical question it's a critical part of the passage Jesus answers him in the typical way that rabbis would talk to one another. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? This would have been a a normal question that rabbis uh, would have asked one another. And Jesus was a rabbi, and so was this lawyer, this expert in the law. He says, how do you read it? And the guy answers with what's called the Shema. And it's something that Jewish men Uh, typically on uh, every given morning, they would step up uh, outside of their homes, across the threshold from indoors to outdoors, and they would repeat this, what's called the Shema. And the Shema is the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That's what this lawyer says uh, to Jesus. That's how he reads the law. And Jesus says to him, this is very, very interesting, he says, you have answered, look at verse 28, you have answered correctly. In the original language in Greek that your Bible's written in, that 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 uh, word is orthos. It, it means the information you just told me is accurate. I don't know if you've ever had somebody tell you information that's accurate, but it's got like no emotional tie. It doesn't feel quite right. That's a little bit of what Jesus is saying. He goes, yes, those are the facts and you have Accurately represented and articulated the facts associated with this question How do I inherit eternal life? Verse 29, the lawyer decides to justify himself and he says to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies with this story. It's a great story. Jesus begins this way He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you look on your map, you might see that Jericho is north of Jerusalem. And so someone doesn't go down to Jericho. They actually go up to Jericho. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. See, Jerusalem is set up on a hill and Jericho would have been down in elevation. So quite literally, this man is journeying down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And that trek was about 26 miles long, and it was a very, very rigorous uh, hike. It it was not kind of a, a walk on a path. I mean, it was a difficult path to navigate. And there were moments in that path where it was fairly wide and moments in that path where it was fairly narrow and there were rocks all over the place. And on on those 26 miles, it was a notorious path for robbers and thieves to hide. They would hide in the nooks and crannies and the crags of the rocks. And as people were uh, traversing down that path, they would kind of jump out, beat them and take what they had and leave them for dead. I mean, if I started a story like this, you know, last Saturday night, I was uh, walking around at Jane and Finch at about two o'clock in the morning. You might go, well, I know where this story is going. That's uh, how Jesus' audience would have responded in this particular case. They go, well, we know where this story is going. So when Jesus says, this man is beaten within an inch of his life by robbers, they go, well, that makes sense. He's on that path by himself from Jerusalem down to Jericho. That's what happens on that path. And while he's laying there dying, really, a priest walks by. This is another religious professional. Now, those who were listening to Jesus, the crowd that had gathered, or even this lawyer would have likely thought to themselves, wow, this priest is coming by. He's going to do something. He's going to help this man. Well, he doesn't. As a matter of fact, Jesus says not only does he pass him by, but he passes him by on the other side of the road. Same thing with a Levite, another religious professional. It was a worship leader, really, uh, in ancient Israel. Passes him by on the other side of the road. Now, Jesus is careful to tell us that they pass uh, this man by on the other side of the road. What's fascinating here is the the likelihood is what Jesus is implying is that the priest and the Levite are on their way to Jerusalem On this trek from Jerusalem to Jericho, they're headed from Jericho to Jerusalem in order to do their religious duty. And if they approach and touch a man who is dead, they would have rendered themselves ceremonially unclean and would, would not have been able to do their religious duty. So rather than rendering aid, they pass him by on the opposite side of the road. And leave him there. Friends, I I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where my uh, commitment to my religious duty has prevented me from rendering aid. I remember uh, the uh, church I worked at here before, Bayview Glen, a church called Scottsdale Bible. Uh, I was kind of the leader, worship leader and pastor of this, it was called The Venue, and and we had live music and a live pastor there, and then when it came time for the preaching, we we piped that in via video. We used to joke with the lead pastor that we would TiVo it so we could fast forward through the boring parts. He didn't like that joke. I probably wouldn't like that joke now, but we still uh, razzed him about it. Well, one particular Sunday, during the sermon, during the video, there was a little boy behind me, couldn't have been more than four or five years old, that was just making a ruckus. I don't know if you've ever been in a church service like that, where, you know, a kid's behind you or in somewhere else in a sanctuary and running all over the place and making a lot of noise and misbehaving, and his mom couldn't control him. And and quite frankly, I was getting frustrated. You know, I would do the, oh, you know, sighing audibly so that she knew I was getting frustrated and finally I stood up and I went back to her and I said "Ma'am, um, we do have a kids ministry where where these children can go and she said okay 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 I'm sorry I'll, I'll, I'll take him to the back well she took him to the back and while they were back there and and just so you know I wasn't trying to help by suggesting uh, that he would go to the children's ministry I was trying to help myself because I was getting distracted I was uh, I was getting annoyed so while they're standing in the back, this, this child's uh, continuing to have a difficult time. And by this point, I, I'm really frustrated. And I think, I'm going to go back there. And now I'm going to tell them that they need to exit the sanctuary. And she needs to take the child to, uh, to the children's ministry. Well, I walked back and this young boy walked over to me and he put his arms up like this as if to say, would you pick me up? And I thought, oh man, I I didn't have children at the time. I don't really like kids, particularly, uh, you know, all that much. And I said, okay, I'll pick you up. So I picked this little boy up, and he was asleep on my shoulder within about three seconds. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe I ought to back up off of my religious duty to help, you know, our congregation really focus on the message. And maybe God is trying to stir up some compassion in my heart. And I said to this, mom I said what's going on she said well uh, this this young boy uh, I'm his mom Uh, his dad is an addict and he comes back to our house for a night about once or twice a month but then he gets up early and he goes back out lives on the streets and uh, engages in substance abuse once again and he was with us last night and uh, my son stayed up very very late hanging out with his dad because he doesn't get to see his dad but maybe once every couple of months And so he's very tired this morning, and he's also very, very sad, very sad. So I'm holding this boy now sleeping on my shoulder and thinking, my religious duty really got in the way for a moment of me showing compassion. I wasn't proud of it, (laughs) men and women. Please don't repeat that story to somebody else. Um, But just like the priest and the Levite, my religious duty got in the way. I don't know if that happens to you sometimes, but it did to me. Jesus goes on and he says, a Samaritan uh, sees this man on the side of the road, uh, beaten within an inch of his life. Now, uh, Jesus told stories in kind of sets of three. That would not have been abnormal for rabbis back then. And so when there was a third individual approaching this man on the side of the road, those who were listening, including the lawyer, would have thought, "Ah, now, now the hero is going to enter the picture. And in first century Jerusalem, in first century Israel, the hero was always the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God. He was going to come and render aid. He was going to come and do a miracle. He was going to come. And when Jesus says, but a Samaritan, came along, there likely would have been an audible gasp of disgust from his audience. Why? Because Jews and Samaritans hated one another. You may have heard that said before, uh, but I wanted you to understand a little bit of why there would have been an audible gasp of disgust from Jesus' audience. Why Jews and Samaritans hated one another. Because when King David, uh, several hundred years before this moment, united the nation of Israel that was kind of once 12 nomadic tribes, united them as 12 tribes, and they became a kingdom under King David, things were going really well. But subsequently, after David died, those 12 tribes uh, kind of disunified, and there was friction, and there was difficulty. And 10 tribes in the north... And two tribes in the south kind of split. And those 10 tribes in the north were unfaithful to God's covenant. They walked away from the covenant. The two tribes in the south, they stayed faithful. They stayed strong for a little while at least. But those 10 tribes in the north, uh, they, they walked away from God's covenant. So much so that they actually intermarried with other tribes. Uh, they established their own capital under a man named King Omri and and and. and completely left the covenant. The capital that they established in the north was in a city called Samaria. And so those two faithful tribes in the south looked at the unfaithful tribes in the north and said, you've intermarried, you've left the covenant, you've established your own capital, you are half-breed traitors and betrayers of God and of the nation of Israel, you are no longer worthy to be called Jews. We will call you Samaritans. The disgust, which we will see here in a minute, that Jews had for Samaritans 2,000 years ago was uh, its is not something we even have today. Nothing that we can actually compare it to. I mean, it in, in Western society anyway, it was just extraordinary. So when Jesus says a Samaritan comes along, his audience would have gone and yet the Samaritan renders aid the Samaritan picks this man up and puts him on his own animal. He takes out oil and wine, which he would have been carrying with him. He takes him uh, to a place where he could get a good meal and a good night's sleep. And he gives money, a couple of days wages actually to take care of this man for several hundred days, probably in this place. And he says, I'm gonna come back and, and anything else that you spend, Mr. Innkeeper, I will replenish and replace when I come back. And the story ends this way. (laughs) Listen to this. This is fascinating. Verse 36 Jesus says, Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I would ask you that. It's a very, very simple question. Which of the three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, proved to be a neighbor? To, those, to the man who fell among the robbers. I'm actually going to ask you to answer out loud. I know it's weird on a video or whatever, but, but I'm going to ask you to answer out loud because I know what you're going to say. So priest, Levite, or Samaritan, which one proved to be a neighbor? On three, I would like you to answer that. Ready? One, two, three. Did you say Samaritan? You're right. You're right. The Samaritan proved to be a neighbor. But watch. When Jesus asked this question, look at how the lawyer responds in verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Why didn't he say Samaritan? Because that word would have felt like poison in his mouth. He can't even muster the grace to answer the question accurately. He can't even say the word Samaritan. So he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. So what do we learn? Well, the first thing I'd like to share with you, I'd like to just tell you a quick story about you know, when I was a kid uh, that may help you understand uh, the primary point of the text. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I loved baseball. I love baseball so, 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 so much. And I would always ask my dad or my mom to pitch to me, pitch to me, pitch to me. I just want to hit. I just want to hit. I just want to hit. Now, my dad uh, grew up playing baseball. In fact, my, my dad was drafted uh, to play professional baseball, played in college. My dad was, was a really great baseball player. And so at five years old, my dad was pitching to me and he was pitching to me so that I could hit, so that I could hit, actually probably even younger than that. And I would just hit and hit and hit. And I would think to myself over and over, man, I'm killing my dad. He is an awful pitcher. I mean, he can't get anything by me. I'm just hitting balls out of the park one after another, after another, after another. All the while, at any point, my dad could have struck me out, right? I mean, he's better than me. He's older than me. He'd been playing a very, very long time, but he didn't. You know what the funny thing is too, that for my dad, the point of that interaction was not competition, right? The the point for me was hit balls out of the park, right? That was the point. But for my dad, it it wasn't to strike me out or to get me out. That wasn't the point. The point was interaction and time with his son. And so he'd pitch to me and he pitched to me and he pitched to me as long as I would hit, he would pitch. It's a little bit similar to what's happening with Jesus here. You see, this lawyer has asked him, how do I inherit eternal life? And then seeking to justify himself, he says, well, who is my neighbor? In other words, how good is good enough? See, in this lawyer's mind, here's what the conversation is about. How do I live up to the standard in order to get myself into heaven when I die, essentially? It was a little bit like me at five years old, like there's a game that I'm playing in my head that's not really the game that my dad's playing. In fact, for my dad, there was no game at all. It was just about time with his son. And at any point, he could have struck me out and he didn't. It's the same with Jesus. At any point, he could strike this lawyer out. At any point, he could prove uh, that the lawyer was totally misguided in terms of the heart of God. But all the while, what Jesus is doing is he's not instructing, listen very, very closely because this is critical, he's not instructing the lawyer on how to behave. That's what the lawyer wants to know. That's the game the lawyer is playing. How do I behave? But if you look back at the beginning of this text in verse 25, the question is this, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus wants this lawyer to know, he wants this man to know about God's compassion for him, not how much compassion do I have to show to others in order to earn my way into heaven. The game that Jesus is playing, again, it's no game at all, but for the sake of our analogy, is to tell this lawyer, God's heart for you is extraordinary. In this particular parable, we are not the Samaritan. We are the man that's beaten on the side of the road, bleeding, dying, no place to go, no hope, no help. Jesus, he's the Samaritan. He's the one who has compassion. In fact, that word compassion is a deep, visceral, guttural reaction. It, it moves the Samaritan to action just as Jesus was moved to action because of his compassion for you and me. So before this statement, you go and do likewise, you go show compassion to others, Jesus wants to back us up and say, there was a moment, spiritually speaking, where you were beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. There was nothing you could do to help yourself, no place that you could go, and you needed compassion. You needed compassion. Help, you needed aid, and no religious system, priest or Levite, no religious system, no moral code could get you the help that you needed. How good is good enough? (laughs) We never could live up to that standard. But Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, did live up to that standard on your behalf and on mine. And just as the Samaritan sacrificed his own animal and walked, just as he sacrificed oil and wine in order to bind up this man's wounds, just as he sacrificed two denarii denarii so that this man could be in an inn for a time and and be healed, Jesus sacrificed everything. This is why uh, Philippians chapter 2 says, he who is in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, humbled himself, became in human likeness, submitted himself even to death on a cross. This is Jesus. He's the sacrificial Samaritan who gives everything to you and me who could not help ourselves. That's the kind of God that we have. Listen, friends, look at me. I know with what's going on with this coronavirus, with uh, fear with being cooped up in the house and cabin fever. Some of you separated from your families. I'm separated from mine right now. They're in the States and we're trying to figure out at what point can we be reunited. It's not been easy, but we have a God who loves us. A God who shows compassion. A God who sacrifices, sacrificed everything as a matter of fact. So that you would know that you are deeply loved and cared for. So that you would know that Jesus gave everything so that he could save and rescue you. Gosh, that's great news. That is just extraordinary news. And now that we know that about ourselves, Now that we know how loved we are, now that we know we cannot ever live up to that standard of how good is good enough. Who do I really have to love? Who do I have to show compassion to? How do I earn my way into heaven? Jesus says, you can't, but I loved you anyway. Now that we know that, we live and love from that space. Rather than earning our way into the kingdom, we know that we're already in the kingdom and so we can give our lives just as Jesus has given his life. That's the go and do likewise part. It's showing empathy and sympathy to others in need. It's sacrificing just as Jesus sacrificed for us, just as the the Samaritan sacrificed for this man on the side of the road. And there are so many things you could do, especially now in this time and place in the greater Toronto area, in order to sacrifice and love someone in need. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, your neighbor or friend that's got coronavirus, that you go share a milkshake with them or something like that. Perhaps God is calling you, and I want to be really careful here. This is between you and the Spirit of God, because for the last 2,000 years, as we've talked about before, when the world was in a pandemic, Christians ran toward it rather than away from it. The plagues, especially in Rome in the first couple of centuries, when everyone was leaving Rome, Christians ran toward Rome in order to care for those who were sick. God might be calling you to do the very same thing. I'm not saying he is, but he might. Just as the Samaritan sacrificed himself, just as the Samaritan put his own life on the line, just as Jesus ultimately gave his life for us, we are called to go and do likewise. But, but if that's not you, there's a lot of other ways that you can show compassion to those who are hurting, to, to feel sympathy and empathy that moves you to action for those in your life that are hurting. Maybe they've been diagnosed. Maybe they have a friend or family member that's been diagnosed. Actually, I've got a close friend that was just diagnosed this week, struggling, struggling. For those who are fearful and experiencing anxiety, for those who are going through economic hardship as a result, you can show compassion knowing that you're not earning your way into the kingdom, but you are loved in an extraordinary and unconditional way. I'll just give you a couple of examples. One, uh, we've recently launched... Facebook neighborhoods, digital Facebook neighborhoods, nine of them, I think. And it's people from Bayview Glen Church who live in different areas of the greater Toronto area because we're kind of a regional church. So it's Markham and East York and Etobicoke and Peel and just different regions. And so you can hop on your Facebook account, hop on Bayview Glen's Facebook account and join a closed Facebook group of people who call this place home that have needs People that need grocery delivery, people that need prescriptions picked up, people that might just need a friend to hop on a Zoom call or a Skype call or a FaceTime call or something with them so that they don't feel so alone. That's a great way to go and do likewise right now. So jump on our Facebook account and join one of those uh, digital neighborhoods so that you can show compassion. Uh, one of the things that Dave Lewis, uh, our community pastor, sent me this week, it was a great video. And, and the video starts this way. It's him and his family at their kitchen table. And he says, we're going to go toilet paper our neighborhood. And I thought, Dave, that's about uh, the most tone deaf thing I've ever heard anyone do in the midst of the coronavirus, You're going to go toilet paper your neighborhood. Well, Dave didn't mean toilet paper, like throw toilet paper all over their house. Here's what Dave and his family did. They washed their hands, they put gloves on and they loaded up big Ziploc bags, bags, with a roll of toilet paper and a little note that said, can we pray for you? Can we help you? Can we support you? And they took those bags and dropped them off to all of their neighbors and said, here's our contact information. Here's a roll of toilet paper, uh, just as a gesture of you know goodwill and you know maybe even need that right now to get through this time. But more than anything, it was just telling them, we care for you, we love you, we're praying for you, and how can we help? What can you do in your neighborhood? You could take that same idea. Dave doesn't have a copyright on that. You could go toilet paper your neighborhood in that very same way and tell your neighbors, I'm here for you. Here's my phone number. Here's my address. Here's my email. What can I do to help you and serve you? Because we are loved unconditionally. And so we can go love others unconditionally in a very similar way. To those of you uh, who are maybe uh, in a vulnerable state and and shut in, uh, seniors and and those uh, maybe who are susceptible to illness, those who are kind of quarantined and set apart, they're struggling with loneliness, they're struggling with anxiety. Who in your life can you send a text message to today or an email? Who in your life can you call and say, "God has shown me extraordinary compassion?" The good Samaritan, Jesus, sacrificed everything for me. And so I wanted to tell you that you're loved. And I understand. And maybe I don't understand, but help me understand what it is you're going through so that I can love you the way that Jesus has loved me. This is what God is calling the church to. Not to earn our way into his good favor, but because he has poured out extraordinary favor on us already and sacrificed for us and made the ultimate sacrifice so he could call us his own and we live and love now from that place showing compassion to those around us I wanted to end with a prayer I've printed it off so I'm gonna have to grab it here but um, gosh it's just so meaningful to me and I think it's gonna be meaningful for you especially during this time and in light of the story of the of the Good Samaritan so sorry you had to see the top of my head there Misha you okay babe good Pray with me, O Most Holy Trinity, as many times as I breathe, as many times as my heart beats, as many times as my blood pulsates through my body, so many thousand times do I want to glorify your mercy. I want to be completely transformed into your mercy and be your living reflection, O Lord. May the greatest of all divine attributes, that of your unfathomable mercy, pass through my heart and soul to my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my eyes may be merciful, so that I may never suspect or judge from appearances, but look for what is beautiful in my neighbor's souls and come to their rescue help me that my ears may be merciful so that I may give heed to my neighbors needs and not be indifferent in their pains and moanings help me O Lord that my tongue may be merciful so that I should never speak negatively of my neighbor but have a word of comfort and forgiveness for all help me O Lord that my hands may be merciful and filled with good deeds so that I may do only good to my neighbors and take upon myself the more difficult and toilsome tasks Help me that my feet may be merciful, so that I may hurry to assist my neighbor, overcoming my own fatigue and weariness. My true rest is in the service of my neighbor. Help me, O Lord, that my heart may be merciful, so that I myself may feel all the sufferings of my neighbor. I will refuse my heart to no one. I will be sincere even with those who I know will abuse my kindness, and I will lock myself up in the most merciful heart of Jesus. I will bear my own suffering in silence. May your mercy, O Lord, rest upon me. And because it's true that his mercy does rest upon you, you can be merciful and compassionate to those around you. Go and do likewise. Thanks for being here with us today.